Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 223 for Monday, December 12th, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixorifs, and joining me as always is a hopefully warmer Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. I am indeed. I have had to turn my heat on because the temperature has uh, finally dropped below zero consistently here in Nova Scotia. And if you would like to hear more about the trials and tribulations of winter weather in the Northern Hemisphere and boilers that don't boil, then you might want to check out The Render Distance. It is the extended version of the conversation we have every single week, and it is available to our patrons, folks that decide to support the show financially. And you can do that at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks and get extra content every single week. Uh, you also get behind the scenes access. Uh, we get to listen to us live when we do these recordings. And we have an extra recording, uh, or exec exactly a pre-extra recording coming up this Thursday, December 16th. We are going to be recording the Chunk Mail Dispenser early this year, and that will be publishing later on December 26th. Our last live episode of the year will be recorded on Monday, December 19th. That will allow a uh, no break uh, in the uh, listening, but uh, Johnny and I will get a break over the holidays to visit family and whatnot, and then we'll be back again on January 2nd. We'll go over this again, I think, uh, over the next couple of weeks, just so people know what's up. But if you are a patron and you'd like to hang out on Thursday, then uh, we'll let you know what time we're going to record and uh, you can join us then. Yeah, it should be a, uh, a nice release calendar for everybody and it's going to be nice and relaxed, I think, towards the end of the year. We don't have too much intense news going on, uh, but life has been busy in the world of Minecraft. So uh, why don't you kick us off, Joel? Let's uh, talk about what's been going on on the Citadel lately. So the West River builds are starting to come together uh, quite nicely, actually, and I've been slowly but surely chipping away at this um, gradient roof that I was talking about in the last couple weeks, and I've made a decision to just kind of like, just do it, just put the gradient in there, like it or leave it, uh, and I'll let it grow on me. I think I like it so far. It still feels a little bit busy, and I'm wondering if part of it is just that I wanted this to be a fancier part of town, and at the moment... The roof, while it does have a nice gradient, it tends to look a little bit beat up in places. So I might have to change some of the material. And um, one of the things that you mentioned uh, last week was like, you know, these things often look good when you back up far away from them. Pro tip, if you're using signs as part of the materials in your gradients, they don't render in when you get farther, farther away. Mm -hmm. So it starts to look a little bit stripey when you start to get farther away, whereas the signs really help. And it's a fun uh, trick i think i've talked about it before putting jungle signs over concrete powder brown concrete powder as a way to kind of get like a different kind of orangey brown in there and um, for the most parts it's it's working if i can remember everything it goes bees nests jungle planks concrete no um mushroom blocks then concrete powder then compost composters and then uh spruce Law, spruce wood the the one with all over um, bark on the inside so uh it gets gradually kind of yellow through orange down into like a dark brown and overall i think it's quite, it works quite well um the bees nests were a chore those yeah. are really those are hard if you want like two dozen of those it's it's a hard thing to to get and i only did half of them cosmic dancer was nice enough to log in while i was streaming and basically just harvest birch constantly yeah. <laughs> in the background. And as a result, she dropped off uh, a bunch of bees nests. <laughs> and then she said, there may be bees in them. I don't know. And she just kind of, <laughs> yeah. they just kind of went away. And I was just kind of like, okay, uh, that's fine. 
Uh, and so then I started putting them on the roof and then they all started buzzing. I was like, oh, okay, then never mind. So instead of putting them on the roof first, I laid them out on the ground and let all the bees pop out of them. And then I had to leash them. And I was bringing them over to a bunch of hives that we had set up. But then unfortunately, there's just so many. So there's probably a dozen, half a dozen hives outside the city that are full of bees. And then I, <laughs> I had like another dozen or more all leashed to a couple of fence posts near my shulker monster setup. And mm -hmm. it was just hilarious. Like it was, just, it was too much of a funny little stream meme to pass up. So I took a screenshot of just how many bees there are. And I, I forgot how much I like them. You know, like I, I was very careful not to um, make them mad because I don't want to have to either kill them or, or run away and, and risk things going all over the place. And I really like the, the flight aspect of bees, it looks so much more natural than the wonky way that cows and horses kind of walk around. Sure. Yeah. You know, and chickens don't even really look much like chickens. So there's, even though the cartoony bees are like the size of footballs, there's just something really smooth about them and the way that they move, it just brings a lot of life to, to Minecraft. So I, I do want to try and figure out, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a way to, fill in one of the farms that I have uh, outside or plans for outside the city and maybe turn it into like maybe a bee farm, like maybe a, a honey farm or something rather than just another crop farm. Because I think having a bunch of motion as you're approaching the town could be, could be really cool. And plus I don't know what to do with all these bees. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> the happy accident might, might have informed a, a new build, but again, thanks again to cosmic for helping me out with that. Um, I've often talked about how, how much time and, that I'm the one that's building this town, but I've had a number of, of drop-offs or server mates that say like, oh yeah, I've got a ton of that and I'm running out of space. Can you please come take as much deep slate as you want? And so I've not gathered every block uh, that I've been using in, in the, the West Hill build. Some of it has been donated by, by server mates, but um, just placing it and designing it has been me. But a lot of the times uh, there's been a, a good drop-off of like, golden carrots or gunpowder or whatever. I mean, the gunpowder was like from the community farm, but Cosmic was nice enough to grab a couple stacks when she was, you know, when they were on their way uh, to give it to me. So it was, it was, a, it was a good, nice way to kind of like not have to stop what I was doing and go gather all the sustainable stuff that I needed. So, so that was really fun. Uh, as far as the builds go, I've really kind of worked a little bit more on the interior of the the house which you can't really get very many good screenshots of because the rooms are only like four by five um but i'm really happy with the way that the layout went uh i'm really happy with the way that everything below the roof outside looks pretty cool i did like a calcite diorite white powdered concrete deal on the upper level and i've got some tr plants and overlapping stuff so without i think the next level of detail i need to do inside in like the kitchen and stuff like that is the armor statue pass where like I might put like a loaf of bread on a counter or, or things like that. Things where like you've created trapdoor shelves, but you can't put anything on them because each trapdoor is taking up a block space above it. So you can't even place like a flower pot in there. So I, I kind of want to go in with a with an armor stand and maybe kind of create something there. Um, I'm getting really close to wanting to get either a custom stained glass data pack or not data pack, but like texture pack or try to find something where I could use paintings and have them look like pots and pans and stuff instead of just the useless Minecraft paintings that don't mm -hmm. work in medieval settings. Cause I'm, I'm starting to feel like I, there's a bunch of things that I'm not utilizing because they're just not great, 
but then it's like, well, instead of just not using them, maybe I should come up with a West Hill texture pack because because I have custom paintings for the modern city, but I don't want to replace them with like and then have to replace the pack every time I go somewhere. So having a little kind of like top layer pack that could be just West Hill and just have just a handful of things like the glass, because I mean, if I have the stained glass, it might be fun for an experiment. But once I leave West Hill and go to like through the nether we've got a lot of glass tunnels in the nether and i wouldn't want that all all to be stained glass it would look kind of weird because that wasn't how it was designed so i'm on the fence about that kind of stuff and i think I, like you i often don't want to steer so far away from vanilla that it just stops being vanilla yeah. minecraft you know like you kind of want that challenge of trying to use the vanilla blocks in the best way that you can um but yeah like other than that i there's not a whole lot to say there's just it's the the fun i guess the most fun i had in terms of um adding things onto this was like realizing that the kitchen didn't have to be part of the main house and i expanded it and created a separate kitchen building and uh in the basement because of the proximity to the river i thought you know i might be able to put in a secret staircase and sure enough i've got the secret staircase that kind of pops you out down at the very bottom by the river and you come up through the basement of of the house that i just built and it worked out that it just just has enough turns that it feels like it's meant to be sort of like windy and creepy but it it really lined up quite easily and i've just if, if anybody out there is building any kind of like town or city or anything the more alleyways and the more back corner like back doorways that you can add in just keep your eyes peeled for that kind of stuff because it really does make it feel like it was either built by multiple people or that things just existed and and people leaned into this kind of access and and tunnels and behind the scenes and it just kind of adds a story because like without any explanation like why is there a secret entrance to the river who knows it just kind of lets the viewer kind of put something together like well maybe they were spies or maybe they were mm -hmm. smugglers or maybe they just you know they just didn't people didn't want to see them coming and going like who knows but it just kind of adds that little layer of narrative that you can't you can't always get in Minecraft because everything is so still all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one thing I noticed about this that I'm curious about is the soul lanterns on the outside. Was that a lighting choice? Was it a choice in terms of color? Or was it just what you had to hand? Uh, it was definitely a, a, a choice in color because this part of the town, this street that goes along the back there is in the taiga biome. Mm -hmm. And I found that the blue light um, looked better with the taiga. And I find that uh, the lanterns, the full normal lanterns are just full on too bright a lot of the time. If you want kind of like a dimmer, more medieval look, then you want a dimmer light. But I don't find that in some of my sunnier, brighter areas of town in terms of the colors of the builds and the styles of the builds uh, that the blue lanterns, they don't look that good. Like they look kind of strange. Like, why are you putting a blue lantern when the whole build is all warm tones? Whereas with this, because of the spruce trees everywhere, and I've tried my best not to cut anything down, uh, and the dark oak and the spruce, they do they do kind of go either way. Like you can put them with the blue light or you can put them with a, an orange light. And so the, the soul lanterns were both the, um, what well, was the change in the lighting um, spawning thing? I don't need to have a light level 15 in order to, to make the, the street level, you know, spawn proof. Um, and I find that, the dimmer soul fire lanterns uh they don't light up your the front of your build like a christmas tree mm -hmm. so much like it's a little bit more subtle 
And so I find I, I have a little bit more control there. Um, but mostly I think it was the the lower spawning levels and the the taiga biome. The, the kind of that minty color in the taiga biome definitely made my brain think more cool blue. Yeah, it makes sense. But just looking at these screenshots, there's remarkably few torches on the ground elsewhere like you'd expect people yeah. to light things up in that kind of meticulous torch grid sort of way so it's nice to see that you don't have to sacrifice stuff like that for like just pure mechanical spawn proofing when you've got soul lanterns that will will do the job but still leave the place looking kind of atmospheric and gloomier at night and that kind of thing there is a lot of spawning spaces on the road right now i have yet to go through this area and put like the odd street light and I don't completely spawn proof it, but I kind of like mostly spawn proof it. Mm -hmm. um, the good news is usually I'm in the area so that, that things don't spawn that much. Um, I also sleep a lot, but, um, but yeah, I find that uh, inside though, inside I've definitely got candles and lanterns and stuff in places where it's just to the point where, you know, you'll get like maybe a, a one or a zero, but that zero is on like a place where there's a trap door or something like that. So it's not going to spawn anyway. Yeah. You can throw um, some carpet down or whatever. And like sometimes, yeah, the, the odd places like that. But yeah, I think yeah. it's my ongoing appreciation for the 118 lighting changes <laughs> really mm -hmm. like comes 100%. to the fore at times like this, because yeah, it's, it's so much more fun and creative being able to work with every light source and not have to worry all the time about stuff being spawn proof and it's not like we're running into fewer mobs as a result generally speaking in gameplay so yeah once again that's one of my favorite changes of recent times what have you been up to in minecraft this week so a lot has happened uh empires smp has officially crossed over into hermitcraft now as part of our ongoing crossover event uh, so we're going to be building a Christmas town in what was originally planned to be the shopping district crater. They've got a one of those donut-shaped mountain ranges that's got a, a dip in the middle, um, which was a dark oak forest but has been cleared previously, and it's just surrounded by snowy mountains. So we thought, what a great place to build some kind of Christmas thing. Um, I've contributed a Santa's workshop build to the area, and right behind that is where they built a sleigh which i think green and pearlescent moon built so that we can do like a secret santa kind of uh, prank or present event this year um so i i've effectively built onto that added a bit of terraforming i've worked on a frozen river with a bit a bit of like ice and packed ice the other day um but at the same time i'm working on a version of my copper aging machine that's going to be underneath azuma's base so we're expanding it from the size it is on empires because the cool thing about joining hermitcraft effectively mid-season for them is that they've already got a lot of really big farms set up and larger builds already prepared they've got a bunch of resources they can lend us and we can just go to town with everything so where it was a struggle to get hold of enough redstone to craft all of the components on my build on empires that has been solved by the fact that Hermitcraft has had a raid farm for probably three months or more. So everyone's got full shulker boxes of redstone blocks that they can just casually throw at me with any without any other concerns. So aside from a couple of roadblocks, I need to get hold of some quartz, which means probably getting hold of somebody who's got a piglin bartering farm. And yeah, there's there's one or two other bits and pieces that I wanted to get from the design. But I've imported a schematic. Uh, Azuma is going to be able to age 450 or so copper blocks at a time in this setup eventually. And it's going to be the largest one of these that I will have built so far. Uh, so right now, yeah, we're settling in on, on Hermitcraft. We're not going to be here for super long, but I think it's going to be a delight to uh, mess around, play some mini games, have a, a heartwarming Christmas experience, and then uh, see what the new year brings for, for Empires. 
So I confess, I, I kind of knew what you had been up to because I, I watched your your videos and, and the crossover and I, I you talked about it a little bit in your YouTube video. But now that I've got you here, like I have to I have to ask you to expand on how cool and or weird it is to be foot on grass block in the Hermitcraft server. Yeah, it's been weird because the people are what you'd expect me to be most excited about because I've, you know, got a chance to collaborate with people whose videos I've been watching for a while, and this is all content creation stuff. But having hung out with them a bunch on other events like Clash of the Creators and other bits and pieces that I've been fortunate enough to do, we've had a few of them here on the podcast, it felt fine just having them on empires like it was cool having more people around and and i knew a bunch of them pretty well so that felt like we kind of fell into a rhythm very easily but i was somehow more starstruck going on the actual hermitcraft server and seeing that world in person for the first time than i was just hanging out with them on the empires server and it's something about having only ever watched hermitcraft before and i've been on a couple of the world downloads in the past but seeing everything in person when you've only been seeing it through screenshots and videos and stuff like that beforehand i imagine it'd be the same even for me going to the citadel and and hanging out in west hill after having heard about it on the show so frequently and seeing the screenshots and watched a couple of your streams like i think it would be just as surreal an experience walking around this fully fleshed out build and going into the houses that you've done all of the interiors for and going, oh, wow, okay, this feels like a, a real lived-in place. That was the strangest part coming over to, to Hermitcraft for me. Yeah, I can I can see that. Uh, I, I've heard the same experience being described for the people that go on the Millennium Falcon ride, the Star Wars yeah, experience yeah, in stuff Disney, like that, of course. where people have just grown up seeing the inside of the Millennium Falcon on film and just that's it. And then when you sit in it and because it's Disney and they own it, like they've just, it's exactly like you would expect it to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and and with all the screens and the graphics, like it's so realistic. And I can see that being surreal, like to the point where you, you, you don't want to miss anything, but at the same time, like you kind of, want to relax and enjoy it but you're just so amazed and it's almost like you have to go twice you know like to try and have the experience um i could i could see that because i've i've had that experience even with like going back to my old worlds like i'll go through screenshots from older worlds and then i'll actually load it up and walk through it and it's it feels totally different even though it's mine and i've been there and i built it you know yeah, yeah, it's it's very strange. I, I expect, like, to a certain extent, yeah, it would feel like that for me going back to the original survival guide world now as well, because that, that feels just so wholly part of the past <laughs> that returning to it would be, yeah, kind of a strange experience. But yes, the, be, being there in the world and, and getting to work on some collaborative stuff, Azuma has, like, some pretty decent plans for where the copper aging setup is going to be in his base. So I'm really excited to see, like, after the crossover ends and we go back to Empires, what our impact on the Hermitcraft server continues to be beyond that. And obviously with the way it ended on Empires was the Hermitcraft members built this giant tower with a giant robot on the side of it and we blew up the robot because it had reopened the rift and was potentially going to destroy our world and like as part of the plot line it was just kind of a fun way of wrapping things up and sending the Hermits off with a bang, quite literally. But... uh it's going to be interesting to see once we go back to empires if that continues to have an impact on the story with them having built a bunch of really useful farms in there are we going to sneak in and try and use it we're going to democratize it are people going to claim sections of it for themselves there's so much 
like leeway that we have plot wise to do some some fun stuff with it that still feels like it's at home in that minecraft environment so trying not to alienate people too much with the role play side of things but still kind of curious about how things are going to play out one something that i noticed too is that the the role play thing on empires obviously is heavier uh than than on hermitcraft i, I don't really feel like they role play that much on hermitcraft it's more like a it's more like the mischief just it's more like rolling with the punches than it is role play you know yeah yeah and and something that i noticed of course is like and i haven't watched everybody's video but when I, when the empires people have been coming over are are everyone from or is everyone from the empire server keeping up the rp or now that they're on now that they're on hermitcraft is it more of a you know i mean i guess you're on the lighter side of the rp but like whip uh, being the goblin like is he still goblin whip on her no or is no it's just being whip a lot of us reverted to our normal like if we have single player worlds that we don't yeah, have like okay. characters in we kind of reverted to those skins yeah. i'm back in my usual like jumper kind of skin and not playing the archaeologist as much um mythical sausage still has a lot of rp stuff going on and <laughs> like his whole thing is like hopping between different dimensions and old world downloads and cool stuff like that anyway so it like it helps him to sustain that for a little while longer and it's it's a mix of styles really because some people have a much longer ongoing arc planned that this kind of ties into and it benefits that way of telling the story whereas the rest of us are adopting more of hermitcraft's own style which is we just kind of play minecraft to play minecraft and if stuff happens it happens i think that the key difference is that on empires some of the time not all of the time but some of the time we are trying to pretend that mechanics exist in minecraft that actually don't or that events can happen in minecraft that require a little extra imagination to believe whereas i think on hermitcraft when the roleplay stuff comes into play except for maybe season eight where like the moon was falling from the sky and stuff it tended to be a little bit more well let's center all of our actions around things which are actually possible in vanilla minecraft and then maybe just throw a little texture pack on here and there to make things like to to turn this into a form of currency or to turn this or that item into a trophy or whatever like you're, you're really you're not trying to insist that people have this idea that this isn't somehow a minecraft world you know <laughs> and and so empires is is trying to do almost the opposite we're trying to ask people to suspend their disbelief a little bit more when it comes to our roleplay stuff yeah yeah it's some, one of my favorite treats of watching the hermitcraft interactions on hermitcraft side of things with empires is it's like that moment when you're um for me i can compare it to listening to podcasters and being a fan of a podcast for years and then finally meeting those people in person you know yeah. at a podcasting convention and having dinner with them and realizing that yeah they're a little different than when they're on mic but not not so different it's just the, the presentation is different mm-hmm. you know like everybody has their on mic voice i know i have one and and then i get teased about it sometimes i've, I've had friends like you just use your mic voice when you said thank you to the grocery store clerk I was like, <laughs> <laughs> crap sorry uh, but it's it's one of those things where when you get to hang out it is very casual instead of like the the more robust role play dialogue that you find on empires it's just it's you and exuma hanging out going like, oh yeah cool i could use that thanks man cool yeah anything you need mm-hmm. totally yeah that's really fun to see you yeah you too it just it feels more like a buddy buddy conversation than anything that's got like the the weight of presentation around it and yeah and i i really enjoy having that curtain being pulled back 
Yeah, there's an extent to which we kind of drop our phone voices after a certain point, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so obviously more on that, I think, next week as well. I'll have plenty to say as the as the weeks roll on. But for now, I think we should probably get into the news uh, because this week we have Minecraft Java Edition 1.19.3 to talk about. It was released on December 7th, 2022, after a one-day delay to fix some critical issues with the release candidate. And so new features in 1.19.3, some of these will be familiar from when we've covered them in the change logs, but just to clarify, because I know that there was some confusion between what was in this update and what was in the 1.20 update that is upcoming. New features include some experimental features now being available through built-in experimental data packs. They've added a new panorama scroll speed accessibility option, added new default skins, including for offline players, and new wood sounds. Various wood types now have unique sounds when placed, broken, or walked on. There are three sets of unique sounds for overworld wood types, nether wood types, and bamboo when you've enabled that through the experimental data pack. Step sounds can now be heard when walking on carpets, lily pads, and small amethyst buds. Step sounds can now be heard when walking through nether sprouts, glow lichen, crimson roots, and warped roots. That's not all for 119.3 though, there are a lot of changes to existing features, including the major one, a rework of the creative inventory tabs. We're going to refer you folks to the changelog article on minecraft.net for more information about this and some of the other changes that we're going to talk about here, since a lot of the changes are quite extensive and are covered in full there. It would take a lot of time to read them all on the show and it would probably get kind of boring, so we'll just summarize here. They've also added the operator items tab option in the controls menu, it's off by default so that you can enable things like command blocks and other things being accessible through the creative mode inventory. The Vex now has a new look to bring it closer in line with Allays. In the nether dimension, Endermen, Skeletons and Wither Skeletons now only spawn at light level 7 and below, which was previously 11 and below. They've changed block support for fence gates and shulker boxes so that only certain things can now be attached to those. There have been some changes to the spawner block, including the fact that it no longer has a default mob, the pig. It's now a completely empty spawner until you apply a spawn egg to it. A few more changes listed in the changelog for that as well. Likewise, there have been some changes to chat, including the removal of the chat preview feature and a couple of other bits and pieces. They've added draft player reports. Improvements to the open to land screen have also been made. The realms news button will now show a confirmation screen before you open the link. Stronghold placement code has been changed to be more efficient, causing some stronghold positions to shift. They're still placed in concentric rings, but their positions in those rings may change by a few degrees. Teleport to team member options in the spectator menu now only show up for teams with viable target players. Changes to tooltips have been made and the wild update music has been tweaked to be slightly less loud. Technical changes in 1.19.3, including adding some feature flags, which are world options to enable or disable some experimental or unfinished features like blocks, entities, and items. Command changes, including the fill biome command, added new telemetry events where you can send information about your playstyle and bits and pieces to Mojang. They've added a few new game rules, which are the explosion uh, dropping different types of items uh, that we've covered in previous episodes. Uh, they have custom player head note block sounds now in 1.19.3. New entity sub predicate types. Instances of recipe types that have recipe books now have the field category to determine placement. Changes to texture loading and stitching, a few network protocol changes, they've migrated the linear algebra types to Java OpenGL Math Library, also known as JOML, and blocks carried by Enderman now use loot tables to generate drops when killed. There are a whole bunch of other things, expansions on all of these 
different changes and whatnot. You can find a bunch of that on the changelog article that we've linked in our show notes. That's at minecraft.net if you scroll down to the news section as well. I think that having all of these technical things, while they are difficult to to parse and and a lot to kind of take in, it's nice to see them in these minor updates because it's something that they they can do between the major updates and it's really hard to put like a big marketing shiny bow on like all the predicates and you know all the everything that's under the hood that's that's changing and um i think excellent summary by the way i think that's a, a great way to kind of like cover most of it but then we can point people to the to the minecraft.net article in for the details and i i think for me um the biggest gameplay features the biggest things that kind of come to me as the tent poles of 1.19.3 are the changes to Enderman skeletons and wither skeletons spawning at light level seven instead of 11 in the nether uh, game rules for lava and water allowing infinite lava sources in the game in the same way that water works right now if you decide to turn that on i think we will be turning that on in the citadel uh, the other thing that i have to discuss with members of the citadel is the uh, drops from a creeper explosion i think we're going to turn that so that the creeper will still destroy the the build, but all of the blocks will drop. You won't yeah, lose anything. Yeah, si similar to what TNT currently does in Java Edition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I think for for me, it's not the like end game. Like we, the creeper blowing up something is not the end of the world. It's just a real inconvenience when like you just, <laughs> everything is there except for that one chain and the carpet that you now have to go get from somewhere. Yeah. It's like oh, it's it's such a it's such a pain in the butt. So so having everything drop would be would be ideal. Um, I, the new wood sounds are cool. I, I mean, I don't know if it's really going to affect my game's play, but I like the fact that they've added it, especially the nether foliage. When I was seeing tests, I was watching Eximavoid and um, Slice Lime did a really good video on just the sounds and and hearing the squish of going through never, nether um, foliage, I thought was really cool. And so yeah. I, I can see, as we were talking about a, a couple of weeks ago on the show, having that sound experience, if you can bring that experience into when you're walking through a creepy cave, if you're bringing in nether sprouts and nether roots and all that kind of stuff, and it makes that kind of squishy noise, like it, it's going to change the ambiance of, of that experience. And um, I, think, I think that's basically it. I think that's kind of where my my big kind of flagship features from from the minor update kind of stop for me and uh I, i'm looking forward to to adding it to to the citadel we just have to wait for some mods yeah and it seems like there are a few other bits and pieces in here i'm trying to scroll through now the uh the the fixed bugs in in this changelog were too many for them to list and the changelog was already really long so if you go to the uh the fixed bugs section of the changelog it actually takes you to uh their jira page where they have all of the the, the bugs listed and stuff like mobs building up full damage when dangling on a lead that's been fixed horses suffocating going through nether portals that's also been fixed there's some stuff like that that i think is like is going to make for some really nice quality of life changes on top of the stuff where new additions like additional sounds and things like that will really contribute to an immersive experience those are just things that almost take you out of the experience of playing minecraft in a more organic way because suddenly you, you're dealing with the mechanical consequences of oh my nether portal wasn't wide enough and now my horse has spawned one block over that kind of thing like i think it's it's nice that we can uh, we can start to resolve issues like that in in quality of life updates like that how do you feel about them still having the 1.20 data pack stuff available within 
119.3 for people to add. I think it's still a little confusing, but I also think it brings the experience of playing Java Edition closer in line to the experience of Bedrock Edition, because Bedrock has always had that experimental features toggle, and that doesn't just apply to beta versions, it also applies to release versions which are close enough to the next release that they've started including stuff like, in this case, bamboo, hanging signs, etc, etc. It allows people to spend a bit more time with those, and I think that's a, a good thing. I just think the communication of those features being separate and ready for the next update is still something that needs, like, it needs, like, a a line break, insert line here kind of thing in the changelog to really say, okay, everything after this is not ready for full release yet, but here's where we're talking about it. And in the, the, the lead up to 119.3, we've obviously had a lot of confusion about where those features lie and i don't know if they're still planning on adding some more minor changes in a dot 4 release for 119 or anything like that but hopefully in going forward we'll see a bit more clarity of communication for that stuff so for me uh, i i found it a little frustrating because i thought oh wait a minute there's those data packs that I could maybe implement and maybe i could even start using bamboo on the citadel before it comes out and you know the 2023 nope you can't do that because if they change it at all in any way um, you wouldn't be able to roll the world forward and you can't add it to an existing world. You have to create the world new with the data packs first. You can't just add the data packs to your five-year-old server. Uh, and so I'm just like, okay, well, they're there, but the only people that can use them are people that want to create a new test world, I guess. Or if you want to play a new Minecraft world every time they update Minecraft, I guess that's something. And that's something people do. I, f I feel I hear a lot in my Twitch chat about people that like have restarted worlds like quite often. So yeah. on one hand, I can sort of see that. But the thing for me, it, it, like you said, it's the confusion of like where they're drawing the lines. And I actually had a really good discussion with some of our members in our Discord and the Snapshot channel talking about what it would be like if they just released two separate snapshots, a 1.19.3 and a 1.20 snapshot. You could still call them, you know, 22W46A or whatever you want to do. As long as it's got a 119 or a 1.20 in front of that that number, you know exactly what it's going to be. And, and that way people could, you know, apply the 119 snapshots if they're playing in snapshot worlds, or they could just know that if they're just going to test the 119 snapshot for their current update, then that's the one they can focus on and that the 120 is something completely separate. Because, um, yeah, I, I do find the data pack thing to be confusing in the game but then i think the presentation like as you said i totally agree i think that there needs to be um different different i guess sections of the the, sh the notes on minecraft.net but if they had separate snapshots then who's to say that doesn't mean that there has to be a new snapshot for both every week there could be a 119 snapshot one week and a 120 snapshot the following week yeah and having completely separate and very clear notes saying like this is just a talking about the changes in 1.20 um, I guess the, the tricky part there is that 1.20 is thought to happen after 1.19, and it's very difficult to present 1.20 without 1.19.3 being finished, you know, like having those features in. So, I mean, a question from the audience, if, if people want to think about this, would you rather have separate snapshots simultaneously, which would be a lot of work, I'm assuming, for Mojang, uh, or... Are you okay waiting? Like, would you rather just not see any Minecraft 1.20 snapshot features until 119 
is done and dusted. You know, like it's it's out now. It came out on the 6th. You know, we've had four to six weeks of 1.20 data packs. Would it be the end of the world if we didn't have any of that? And our first experience with 1.20 features would be like next week, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we're seeing... For a start, we're seeing the change in communication style from Mojang that they're only starting to talk about features which are basically done. So they're trying to figure out how to manage community expectations in that sense. But on their side, we're also seeing the streamlining of that process into if we're working on a version that has major updates and we're working on a version that has minor updates they're kind of bundled together as the same thing so that the development team can kind of keep things straight for their own workflow and then the difficulty then is just how that is communicated to players so i think we're seeing something that they are prioritizing making it easier for the development team because they just have to work in one branch of the code and certain features are gated behind the data pack thing, which I believe is something that they use internally. Like you, you end up seeing Slice Lime on streams working on some stuff of his own um, using data packs. So I think it's still something that they are they're at least familiar working with at this point. So I, I'm 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 not certain that either approach is necessarily going to be beneficial to both parties. I think it's really more about finding something that works for the team and then players having to deal with that until we get the full polished release version ultimately um and saren in our live chat says uh your impression is that the devs should work in a single code base rather than in two branches that's kind of the way i see it too um honestly though this is the first time in a while that i won't be updating to the minor release right away uh because playing on empires and currently playing on hermitcraft both of those require mods which I don't expect will be updated to 119.3 for a while, if at all, especially in the case of the custom mod that somebody is making for us on Empires. And I don't think any of the features of this release, while they are cool, I don't think any of them are vital enough that we'd bother upgrading for the kind of stuff that we're making. On the other hand, I am going to update the Survival Guide world when that series returns in early 2023, but that series is pure vanilla anyway, so I just launched the most recent version from the launcher and use that. Uh, So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that affects gameplay overall, and it would be interesting to hear who's upgrading to 119.3 right away, and who's sticking around either because they don't feel the need to upgrade or because they can't upgrade because the majority of what they play is lightly, perhaps, modded. So I think that I might have mentioned this before incorrectly that we were on 119.1 on the Citadel. We're not. We're on 119. And yeah. uh, so looking forward to like a lot of the bug fixes, you know, the, the game rule changes, stuff like that in 1.19.3. We're only just waiting for mods to catch up. And um, I think I'll have probably have more to say on mods in the next couple of weeks as they kind of come through. I'm going to take the opportunity to try to find some new ones. going to try to, you know, try to better get better performance out of the server, that kind of thing. Um, but for now, most of the UI and quality of life mods are, are updating pretty quickly. Um, Fabric is pretty good at keeping mods up going with snapshots. And so then when the actual release hits, you're only looking at a day or two. Yeah. So um, the one thing I, I, I think that does get a little bit frustrating with having mods on a server that you have come to depend on performance wise is you don't get to jump in day one. Like like you said, with the survival guide, you can just like flip a switch and away you go. Mm-hmm. Whereas with with us in the Citadel, we one, we have to make sure that everything works and then make sure it doesn't break anything. And I, I say we, it usually comes to me on the back end. Alistair helps with some of the other data packs and mods as well. Um, but yeah, like it's one of those things where 
it, it does take a little bit of the wind out of your sails when you have to wait for all the mods to catch up because the playing experience uh, is not as good, you know, performance wise for some of yeah. us. So uh, we have to wait for that. But uh, I'll probably have more on that in the next couple of weeks as I explore some new stuff. Should we move on into chunk mail? Sounds like a plan. The uh, email address, if you'd like to send us a message, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short, keep them sweet, keep them on point. It increases your chance of being read on the show, uh, especially if you're replying to something that we've talked about recently. That's another good way as well. First email comes in from Joel number two. Tuning note blocks both ways. Hello, Joel and Johnny. I recently heard your discussion uh, wondering if the new chiseled bookshelves mechanic could help improve note blocks. A shout out to Imp Imperfect for the great discussion idea. Why not change note blocks so that right-clicking the top half of the block tunes the note up one step and right-clicking the bottom half of the block tunes the note down one step. This would reduce the note searching time significantly and it would still be very doable in tight building spaces. It would also preserve the current redstone functionality of note blocks, especially if you still let the note blocks loop back, but in both directions. Any thoughts? Joel number two was lost in wonder because he could tune his note block downwards. Uh, I love this idea. Yeah, I like this solution. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the only thing holding me up on this is what we were talking about previously with texture of note blocks. Like, could the texture of, of note blocks change to make it still usable as a building block, but then make this tuning mechanic more intuitive to players? Or would players simply be expected to get the idea depending on how the note block reacted to their interaction? Because I, I get the sense that a lot of people would like the note block texture for building with. I, I know I do. Um, and they don't necessarily want that to change too much. But if you change the functionality of the note block beyond how other things like mob heads or other types of blocks interact with it and change the instrumentation, then potentially that leads to issues with like the texture doesn't feel like it matches the functionality as well so i'm curious if uh you know joel number two's idea of any any of the the functionality changing would be complemented by a change in the texture and how you'd reconcile that with building with the things but uh, aside from that i think it's a it's a pretty neat suggestion I, it's so simple and straightforward. I'm a little embarrassed. We didn't think about it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about <laughs> note blocks, specifically because in the same conversation we were talking about like the um, the directionality and and the ability of Minecraft to point at different parts of a block, which you do most often with like stairs when you're placing stairs specifically, uh, and having that function be uh, implemented in the new chiseled bookshelves that are coming in 1.20. And I, this is just it's so simple. Like it's it's not even nearly as complicated as the, as the bookshelf or the chiseled bookshelf it's just it's just the top and bottom half of a block which we do now anyway um i think if you added the actual note in text instead of just colored notes floating up from the block through the range i think you'd have a really solid solution because then you could see like you know c c sharp you know b all that kind of stuff and and i think that that would be I think ideal, but I understand that also that would include, that would be bringing a language to Minecraft that where Minecraft kind of has its own like neutral language, you know, like it, rather than having like English floating out of the blocks, it's just a yeah. code note block to keep it neutral. So I, I can appreciate that, but there's some things where I'm just like, well, <laughs> even if it was a number, <laughs> it would help a little bit. Yeah. Um, I feel like m musical notation like that is often fairly universal anyway. It's just like right. it was it was established in Europe, but then just became like a very kind of 
universal mm. way of doing it i mean correct me if i'm wrong musicians from from other cultures especially if you don't have the mm. the uh, the alphabet that we're used to in, in english but um i am yeah i i'm i'm interested in that i don't know if anybody would really rely on using the visible colors of the notes above a note block to determine what note that was i think those are really there just for aesthetics and for decoration if you see a bunch of different like notes playing at different times then you kind of see a more of like a rainbow of color from the note block which is nice but i do wonder like that that that's a, a solid suggestion for them to have a little bit more of a cue for players to pick up on exactly what those things are um obviously wouldn't be too accessible for players with visual impairments and you know that that that's a whole different discussion i suppose but I'm I'm curious if anybody actually uses the note colors to sync up the notes of two different note blocks or if they just go, oh, that's approximately the way it should work. And then they just tune them by ear aside from that. Yeah, I can't remember because I haven't messed with them that much because I like I find dealing with note blocks really time consuming. I think the only thing that I've ever done is like the price is right. You lost sound. And that's yeah. what plays when I dumped back when trading with villagers involved multiple breedings and if you didn't get the right villager then you sent them off on a one-way trip and when they passed through the string on the one-way trip it played like the do 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 <laughs> and yeah. i was like okay that's kind of fun but it took forever <laughs> it was like five notes so um yeah i i haven't really gotten that far with them i'm i'm curious uh going forward with it as a funny kind of silly sidebar with the changes coming with mob heads and player heads uh, on note blocks, um, and that's the thing that I find confusing about 119.3 is that the custom player head is, it's in there, but it doesn't work, or you can't you can't access it. I can't remember which, um, but it's ahead of the mob heads in 1.20. So like why they separated that out, I don't know. Um, but the the idea of having custom noises and custom sounds. Do you think we'll see like a re renaissance of in Minecraft DJing? <laughs> I think it's entirely possible. Yeah. Like I, I genuinely think there could be some, some fun experiences people could build with those. I think especially if you, if you have something like that on a bedrock edition server, I'm not sure if the same thing would work there because of the amount of like custom stuff that it has to, has to link to, um, and data packs and add-ons being slightly different, but I, I think it'd be really cool if you could do some kind of concert using note blocks, but have the actual output of the note blocks vary so wildly. Like you could do some really fun stuff with that. I'm sure someone somewhere has used note blocks to make Carol of Bells, because that's the kind of thing I think of when I think about note blocks in Minecraft. I think about a bunch of people standing in like a bell choir or a percussion section where you've got a, a bunch of different people and they're all like hitting specific instruments and notes at the right times. Mm -hmm. uh, not any one person is able to play the entire piece. And that's what I think about mostly when I think about arranging a note block orchestra, so to speak, is like you'd have to have everything all set up. But it, in terms of like adding more modern sounds, if, if someone was able to replace different sounds from different blocks or have like custom things, I mean, it, DJing people sample so much um, having multiple samples to multiple um, uh, player heads and then added to note blocks. Uh, you can see, I think uh, Eximovoid had a really good example in, in their video where um, it was like that, like that no, 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 no sound. Um, yeah. Uh, 
It's like a it's, remix that, that someone does. It's like a, a, a remix of him and Corrales, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so stuff like that could be done in game. And I just, you know, especially if you've got content creators that, you know, you can't always plan that stuff. It just sort of happens. And if you've got a recording of it that you can then, like, you don't even have to sit down and purposely try to do something funny. If you've already been recording and some funny stuff just happens because you work with a bunch of people that have fun personalities and are goofy and stuff, I think you could, the, the possibilities are, are really, really interesting. Yeah, there's there's so much fun we can have with that stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it, it pops up in 119.3 and beyond. Um, our second email is actually one we're going to turn into a main discussion this week. This is from Gundar H. Stryker, a frequent correspondent and landscape artist member of our Discord community. And the subject is having options. Hey, Pix and Joel, I've recently come to a pleasant conclusion. I like having many projects going in Minecraft at the same time. For example, I currently have a creeper farm floating island project, a castle on the mountain project, a galleon ship project, a custom swamp project, and many more. This is something I just wanted to share with the listeners if they're finding that their current project is burning them out. I really like being able to work on something totally different every time I play rather than having to play stone blocks for the ninth night in a row. I think Joel has experience with this since he's able to switch back and forth between parts of the Citadel being the different build zones. I'm curious how Pixorus kept a straight head during the mountain project of season one of the Minecraft survival guide. Thanks for the amazing podcast. Gunda survived the night because his builds were lit up properly. So I thought this would be a great email to kind of spin out into a main discussion and even branching off from just like having multiple projects on the go how do you balance multiple multiple projects uh in minecraft and spinning off you know into things like um how do we attempt to balance all of those projects and ideas in our heads in minecraft so it's the exact opposite problem of someone that is like I don't know what to do in Minecraft. I'm bored. Uh, I feel like Johnny and I are often in a situation where it's like, I don't know which to do first because mm -hmm. I have so many ideas and, and how I want to, you know, how do I want to attack this? And I think it's really interesting how Gunder pointed out, like, you know, that I have the ability to switch between zones that hinges greatly on my willingness and willpower to switch. And I think that part of my problem is I'm a perfectionist and I'm a completionist. And during this whole build process of West Hill, which has now hit two years on the calendar, uh, on, you know, hitting it on weekends, I've had a couple of breaks here and there, but the thing is I, it, like I could go build in the modern city. I just don't because I, I sort of want to finish West Hill before I change it up. And so I don't tend to let myself just go build a house in West Hill and then go build a modern skyscraper and then, you know, go back and do Redstone Farm and then build another medieval house. Like I, I tend to need creatively to kind of be in that zone and kind of have all the tricks and ideas kind of at the forefront of my brain for a few weeks while I work on a, a couple of things. Now, could I like in between big projects, like after I finished that, mansion i probably could have used a, a break from west hill but i think because of where that happened in the calendar year close to the end of the year i just sort of had this minecraft kind of push other games i was playing were updating and it didn't seem like a, a good time to continue to push on those other projects so i wanted to play more minecraft i just said well i find that anytime i play minecraft and i'm not in west hill i feel like i'm just 
I enjoyed working in Westall. I feel like I'm not wasting time, but it just that that project just seems farther from done the more time I spend on other things. Yeah. And so that kind of stuff was was hard to kind of move away from. I think the idea for me in the in a broad stroke is on a forever world like the Citadel, I really like the idea of having these areas that I can move to, but it's a move that happens like every three to six months in general in my head, right? That's what I feel like the appeal is. I don't want to log in every day and do something different completely. I want to log in and, and like, if I finish something in like the modern city, uh, like I finished one of those skyscrapers and I thought, you know, I think I really want to do something medieval. And I think part of that was pushed by the 118 and the 117 stuff. We wanted to expand and have more distance between builds and prep for that kind of stuff. And now that we've got that, my next idea is like, I want to try and do a sci-fi world. And could I go back to the modern city and, and build some stuff there? Yes. But I'm a little worried I'm going to be trapped there until 2028 mm-hmm. <laughs> if I go back. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I kind of need to start to have a healthier separation. So I might try, you know, a bit of what Gundar is saying and like having a bunch of things that are in the process of being done, which is not untrue right now in terms of the the Citadel, like each area they're supposed to be community areas, but like not everyone has has had a chance to build in them because everybody's just working on their own thing. And it's that same thing we keep on mentioning on the show where like in similar to Hermitcraft on the Citadel, everybody's just invested so much in their current zones, taking time away from that to work on a community zone doesn't seem to work that well because people just want to keep on making progress on their own stuff. Yeah. It's a little bit difficult there. So I wanted to ask you, how does that apply in terms of like multiple projects balancing all that creativity when you're working on a server with so many other very active creative content creators yeah that's that's the really the spanner in the works for me because i kind of i i I agree with the notion of having multiple projects on the go but multiple projects across multiple worlds and worlds that are moving at a different pace is the thing that makes that hardest for me. And I I typically don't want to be left behind in a multiplayer series, both in terms of progression. Like, I want to make sure that if other people have Elytra and Netherite gear or whatever else, like, I should probably be up there as well, just in case we all want to do something big and I'm the one person dragging stuff down because I don't have the stuff yet. Um, and, And in terms of building, obviously I'm outpaced by a bunch of the builders on empires, like Smallish Beans and Mythical Sausage build like absolute maniacs. And it's incredible because their stuff is so great, but I find myself struggling to catch up with those, but I don't need to catch up with them. There's not like a deadline for us having built a certain amount. It's just a, a an approach that I feel works to help me stay motivated. And I think that's the main thing about that is that if having multiple projects like that can keep you motivated, then that's important. Uh, and it's important to a certain degree. <laughs> like it's important to the degree that doing anything in Minecraft is important. Um, but I, I have this do-it-yourself attitude a lot of the time where I don't like being handed stuff like Elytra and Diamond Gear unless it's unavoidable. You know, unless it's, in the case of Hermitcraft, I was happy to get a, an Elytra handed to me right away because where we came into the server was through this rift in Grian's basement and the only way to really get out of there was to fly. Like he hadn't created like a an elevator or a ladder or anything to get in and out. It was built at a time when everybody on the server already had wings who'd be expected to go back and forth. And so if we 
spawn in there, then we get stuck in there as long as we don't have, you know, blocks to pillar up with or something like that. Um, so the rest of the time, I like going out into... The first thing I did on Hermitcraft, I went out into the wilderness and I got the resources by hand myself. I mined the diamonds instead of borrowing them off of somebody, you know? And so I, I like building up to those things, but then once that's in place, having a bunch of different stuff happening, a few different projects on the go is how I best operate. And this is a topic I actually touched on for an older episode of Minecraft. It's interesting you mentioned this being the flip side of the boredom problem because the episode I made was how not to get bored in Minecraft. And I was discussing that I find it easier to avoid burning out on a project if I have other projects to distract me. The creative brain gets restless. And this used to happen to me a lot before Minecraft was ever a thing in my life where I would have a bunch of different creative outlets. I would be writing creatively. I'd try and write little short stories or longer kind of fantasy novellas or something like that. And then I'd get bored of that and nothing would come of it. The The end wasn't necessarily in sight. And then I'd flip back to my original passion which was writing music and so i do that for about six months and have a project with that and then a idea for another short story thing would occur to me and i'd flip back and forth and usually in between i would punctuate that with maybe like a six month stretch of i'm not really creatively inspired right now let me play video games or watch movies or you know indulge in other people's creativity a lot more and so minecraft has allowed me to distill all of that into I have building and then I have redstone and then sometimes there are other aspects that can kind of keep me going like the creative progression of, of like starting a new world and getting all of the resources together and mining all of that stuff. But I, I like having other projects to distract me when my passion for one task feels strained. Like my, my concentration on that is winding down and I need to try and, you know, get back into it with, with something else. This is also tied into the business of being a content creator because you've got to have something that your audience is going to want to see and an audience is going to get tired of seeing the same thing over and over again typically on youtube uh, on streams people i find are a lot more tolerant of that kind of stuff because they're showing up for a long form piece of media anyway instead of a curated thing where they expect you to be hopping from one project to the next so if you're a streamer then you might find that that brain power is used differently to if you're doing YouTube content and you're just trying to keep each individual clip of a video entertaining. But typically I find I want at least one redstone project and one build project going at the same time. The difficulty being having a redstone project that is as long term as build projects on the scale that you and I like to do them. So that's kind of the, the challenge there. But I find that my favorite projects are ones which have something of a domino effect. I can make a wither skeleton farm and that gives me the wither skeleton skulls i need to get beacons and the beacons allow me to strip mine a large area so i can get stone and then the stone feeds into a building project but what if i also have a cobblestone generator to get more that way and i can offshoot into sidebar into smaller tasks which make ultimately the larger project easier and that's really what i did going back to gunder h striker's email to keep a straight head during the mountain project was that I was also working on the ski village nearby, so if I got bored of landscaping, I could go and build something that felt a little bit more like a, a modern, a contemporary designed area. 
And it, within that area, I had a sweet berry farm powered by foxes. I had a chicken farm powered by foxes. I had the stone generator that was allowing me to get all of the stuff for the mountain in the first place. Before the mountain was complete, I worked on a redstone door with honey blocks for a back entrance to some sort of dwarven empire that was theoretically under the mountain. You can sidebar into all of these other little projects that allow you to take a break from the big stone placing project every so often when you want to. And that's really how I end up sustaining my interest in an individual project is allowing myself to step away and then come back to it, usually with more resources in tow. It's a couple of really good points with streaming versus YouTube content creation, because I noticed that on some YouTube videos, and I do find it funny where people kind of like turn around and like, obviously, six or eight hours of work has just happened in the background, like in one in one yeah. cut. Uh, and, and I remember, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure there was definitely some streams from you where there would be like, come hang out and chat while I place 10,000 stone, Yes, <laughs> you know, absolutely. And, and those, those kind of things, uh, lend themselves almost better to stream because like you can kind of then talk about whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, whereas for me, like when I'm streaming, I get into frustrated points when either the build is not going the way that I want and I'm, I'm frustrated that I can't finish it the way that I want. I found that I was getting like that with the, um, the mansion it was going on. I started to feel like it was, it was long in the tooth, even for my Twitch viewers. And I was like, I really, I'm starting to not have much to say about this. And so I start to feel like I'm being quiet on stream. I start to feel like I don't have a lot of good things to say because I'm just, I'm frustrated with stuff. And I tried it my best not to complain a lot on stream because I find like I just I just don't need that kind of negative vibe. Um, but for me, like when things start to go negative like that, that's when I also feel like I want a change in project. Like that would be a good place to bounce out and do a shulker farm or bounce out and do something else. But I also wanted to push through and actually finish the mansion. Like I don't want to stop. 90% of the way through because then the motivation to go finish the project that you're not liking at the moment is difficult. And I find that it's better to kind of like rip the bandaid off and just like stomach it, get it done and and move on. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point about the, the cascading farms or the cascading projects, uh, that's a really good thing to keep in mind for anybody that's listening to this, that is in a new world. And that is um, the bouncing out to gather resources or make a farm to gather resources is a really good way to kind of keep things fresh. I noticed it early on in the modern city because the modern city was such a shift in design from all of the more rustic wood and things that we had. I've been using a lot of glass, but I hadn't been using a lot of concrete. I hadn't thought about very many smooth surfaces. There's a lot of different textures that we needed to kind of rethink a lot of stone. And so for the modern city, I got into building and realized, oh, wow, I really need a TNT, um, a concrete maker you know uh, i really need a um a way to get more stone i need more dyes for the concrete you know like all of this stuff became really apparent and so it was really a great way to break up the monotony of building this giant white skyscraper which cool but does get boring after a while yeah to be like okay i need to like i need some i'm, I'm using a ton of rockets i need a, a sugarcane farm that's not a million miles away so i'm just going to build another one and what i liked about that is it allowed me to kind of experiment like okay well if i just if i don't care how it looks right now because it's just temporary what kind of cool redstone mechanic could i experiment with uh on a uh sugarcane farm where now i'm mid to late game and i have resources coming out my ears and i can just 
build a sugarcane farm with pistons everywhere, not have to worry about anything other than just like, you know, just getting enough um, natural sugarcane so I can make rockets. And it did not take much. And it kind of opened my eyes to like some of these smaller projects when you can build them to take a break, not really care too much about them, can really help you explore and discover new redstone mechanics and also kind of like thumb your nose a bit at all the YouTube videos that you see for like 10,000 sugarcane an hour. And this is the most efficient thing that you ever want to build in Minecraft and blah, blah, blah. And it always looks too big. And you're like, I don't need that. I, I just need like two rows of sugarcane, 12 to 18 long and some pistons and I'm good. And if you're building in the area, you'll just realize just how quickly that resource is, will, will pile up. And so I like that idea of having resource farms, even if they're uh, not micro, but like small scale woven into your build, like hiding the concrete maker in the top of the skyscraper or finding a way for the squid farm in a river that I had to fill in to make the modern city. That's also where we get our black dye for all the great concrete. That's the roads. Right. And I, and I feel like having the the break time to say like, well, yes, I need to continue this city, but I can stop building these boxes and take a break and make a squid farm. You know, and I think that that kind of stuff really helps keep things fresh. My challenge right now, and I think that anybody else that has a long-term world, uh, and you might even find that, you know, bopping over to the Hermitcraft server, is that when the servers have been established and there's farms everywhere, then there's less of an opportunity. You have to make up your own side projects the side projects don't make themselves up if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely i mean th this is part of the reason also that i end up chopping wood manually every week is that yeah. a it gives me something mindless to do on stream so i can just talk to my chat where otherwise i would be concentrating on building stuff and wouldn't be able to interact with people as much but also it gives me a good time for my brain to just reset because i'm doing something manual in minecraft i'm still getting three hours of gameplay in but i'm just gathering one resource using one tool and occasionally mending it uh and that's really all that happens so that at least feels like i have time and space to step away from my creative projects and let it breathe and not be frustrated by the fact that i'm logging in to do exactly the same thing every single session if it's working on a larger build or anything like that i think we've also got to consider this from the perspective of somebody who doesn't play minecraft on a stream or on videos and just yes, does for fun and i think that's also got to factor in in terms of how you want to use your time there are definitely people who have minimal amounts of time to play minecraft every week then maybe won't be able to get in every day they might get in like once a week or just on the weekends or something and those folks are going to be torn between do i create large-scale resource farms that give me all of the resources i want so that i can spend my time doing the creative building stuff or do I take it slow and steady, gather bits and pieces of resource at a time, but then feel like I'm not getting to the build side of things fast enough? And the important thing to remember is that there are always options. You know, once you've gathered enough of those things, you start on your big build project, give yourself an out. Give yourself a reason to go and farm resources manually for a little while, because that allows your brain to reset. You get to not come into it with the mentality of, oh, I've got to build that thing for the you know, fourth or fifth weekend on the trot, I've got to still work on this one castle that I'm planning. If that's wearing you down, then find other stuff to do. Find those multiple projects to keep those plates spinning. And I think you'll find that your your brain will thank you for it. And I think too, um, 
the success of some of the build zones ideas and I get excited about a new build zone on, on the server, like a sci-fi zone, that spins out into Minecraft adjacent projects like custom texture packs or seeking out and replacing some of your sounds. I know that Alistair on, on the server has replaced uh, his bow with, oh, I'm going to get the name of the weapon wrong, but it's basically a staff that shoots a beam from Stargate. And so oh, he's uh -huh. replaced the model and he's replaced the sound. It's a very simple thing and it doesn't affect anybody else on the server. He just gets to zap stuff, which he finds incredibly amusing. And I do nice. as well when I watch his videos. And so like that kind of stuff is, I don't have time to play Minecraft right now, or I don't have the energy or, or I mean, Mike, uh, Alistair does stream, but he doesn't stream every time he plays. Sometimes he just doesn't have the energy to play, but he's like, but I'm, he's a very smart guy and he likes to get under the hood of stuff. So he's like, well, I'm just going to go down this rabbit hole of like, how do I customize a sound from Stargate into Minecraft? And I think that if you get inventive in that way, um, you can even, I remember spending hours when I was working on the nether hub for, um, for the Citadel, I took a scale, like not model, but I took a, a screenshot and I made a pixel art piece, a cross section in Photoshop. And I just spent hours, you know, like, um, relaxing and doing like pixel by pixel planning of the nether hub in a cross section. So I knew how high the floor was going to be. I knew roughly where the ceiling was going to be, how the big of the arches were going to be. I still felt like I was doing something creative, but I wasn't spinning my wheels in Minecraft because for whatever reason, that project has felt so large that I couldn't wrap my head around it. So sometimes you can create these extra projects for yourself outside of the game too. Maybe that's sketching in your sketchbook at work or something like that. Like if you don't get enough Minecraft time, uh, like you were saying about people that are too busy, then maybe you can like start, um, grab some graph paper and, and maybe do some sketching and something like that in your, in your breaks or, or when you've got that, you know, 45 minute commute, if you're on a train or, or a subway or something like that, then you can maybe sketch some ideas. And I find that that will also help with keeping yourself motivated for projects, but then also stretch your creativity in a different way, but still Minecraft related. I wouldn't be surprised if there are a decent amount of people out there who have learned patience in other areas of life and like have learned to be patient with developing new skills like artistic skills or whatever from having picked up Minecraft and the time it takes to really get going on creative projects like that. So I expect there is some crossover in other creative fields for sure. Um, that is where we're going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today, all of that is over at thespawnchunks.com, along with all of our back episodes. Uh, the music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as we record it every week and you can also get in on stuff like our monthly minecraft audio hangouts which the next one is going to be happening in january on account of it being december and so the end of the year is tied up with family holidays and the like but um, we're really looking forward to catching up with everybody after that christmas break and seeing what you all have gone up to we're currently at 330 patrons which is up four from last week's camp thank you so much to the four of you for jumping on board and special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram and i will point you to one of our tweets from last week on the spawn chunks uh, we shared the spotify wrapped data on uh, the the podcast performance 
on Spotify and uh, it did very well. So thank you to everyone that was listening. And uh, if you want to see some of those cool stats, you can check that out on Twitter. Personal recommendations, though, are the easiest way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend that they can listen on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Very easy to find us. Be sure to leave a rating or a review on your favorite platform. You can email the show once again at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs, where, bizarrely, Empire's SMP Season 2 is currently on Hermitcraft Season 9. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, and will be streaming from Hermitcraft for the duration of the rest of the crossover, so you can look forward to that over at twitch.tv slash Pixorifs. I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which, yes, has gotten even weirder after this. Uh, I ended up recording the last episode live from a location on the Hermitcraft server, with a handful of the hermits heckling me and mythical sausage was there as well uh you can find that through a quick youtube search for hermitcraft recap it's been an absolute blast doing these last few episodes and i'm probably going to try and record one more live episode before we're done with the crossover so we'll see how that goes aside from that i'm at pixorifs on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything i'm doing online including links to other podcasts and projects is at joelduggan.com the Citadel Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment. You can listen at the thecitadelcafe.com or your favorite podcasting platform. This coming week, it looks like we're going to try to do the Holiday Roundtable, which I try to gather as many guests as I can over the last year and just hang out and chat. Uh, I'll let people know a little bit closer to that date on Twitter when that's happening. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Lego on Friday, Minecraft on weekends, and I sprinkle in a little bit of Minecraft throughout the week when I can. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that leaves so much room for activities. <laughs> <laughs>